Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Craftsman Podcast. Yeah. We're uh, we're on to episode 26 of the second season. That's half a year. Yeah, oh wow. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. Halfway through season two. We just oh, had yeah. a good idea for some episodes uh, that we're going to tuck into the... To the second season, so yeah, we won't uh, spoil the, uh, the surprise, but I'm looking forward to them. Yeah, um, so what do we got? We're getting into the Victorian period this episode, and for the next four episodes total. Yeah, well, we're talking about 1840 to 1910. Mm-hmm. I think most people are familiar with the term victorian when it comes to design but a lot of like with homes and things like that yeah especially like where we live there's a lot of houses built right around that time yeah so as usual we start off with an overview of who what where when maybe even why but uh are that all are those all the w's yeah and we kind of save the how <laughs> yeah the how for the subsequent episodes <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so it gets like uh, a lot of these um, style periods. They get their name from some sort of uh, ruler or or main contributor. In this one, it's the it's the ruler in in England, Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. And first thing we could say between uh, the differences between Shaker and Victorian the they're very distinct differences, very sharp contrast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Victorian furniture, it's formal, elaborate, uh, even opulent. Um, upholstery of the period matched the ornate stylings of the wood with needlepoint and tapestries adorning many of uh, the most intricate pieces. Black walnut, oak, maple, and ash were common building materials of the time. And rosewood was used a lot as an inlay for contrast work. Yeah, you can't really do that much these days. <clears throat> no, rosewood's on the endangered list, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does it come from? India or is that? Uh... Yeah, I think so. I think there's uh, like South American, like mm-hmm. I think it's like rosewood in quotes. Oh yeah, like uh, mahogany. Yeah, because they use that for uh, fingerboards, don't they? Yeah, the yeah, rosewood fingerboard. Yeah, I think it's you know. That's actually my preference. Yeah. I like the uh, the rosewood fingerboard as opposed to the maple. I like the look of the maple. Yeah, me too. I, I don't know why. I just... Um, like a Charvel. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Like slime green paint job, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> So, um, 
Queen Victoria's reign defined not only an ideological and political movement, but an aesthetic one as well. Very influential figure, which was embraced throughout the United Kingdom, later through much of Europe, and ultimately in the United States. Uh, she was respected culturally as a woman of the people and, created, and creatively as a trendsetter, as her taste in furniture influenced the stylistic sensibilities of her people. Hmm. See, they didn't really have celebrities, I guess, the way we have celebrities, which set all of these tones nowadays. Yeah. So who's the biggest deal? It's, you know, somebody like the Queen of England. Right. As opposed to, you know, The Rock or, uh, I don't know, uh, like Beyonce, where I was talking to the wife uh, last night. And I noticed, like, when I watch all my sports shows, like all the, the talking heads and everything, the women tend to dress in these style uh, um, blocks. Like, you start noticing, like, they all start wearing, like, for a while it was like all this asymmetrical dresses were a big thing. And now it's uh, purple lipstick I'm starting to notice. <laughs> You're talking about the women on these sports shows. Yeah, all the, the talking heads. Right. So they're getting their... What I'm trying to say is that there are these, um, you know, either they're stars, celebrities, or fashion houses that create this stylistic norm for the present, you know, right. what's hot. Yeah. And back then, they we, they didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's somebody like Queen Victoria. Uh, that was some uh, long way around. <laughs> I think we're picking up your drift. Yeah. So Victorian furniture is known for its ornateness, its orderliness, and eclectic approach to unifying design themes from a variety of periods into a coherent framework. Uh, so it sounds like um, it's a it's a it's an amalgam. Yeah, it's it, transitional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. While it incorporated elements of Renaissance, Rococo, and Gothic influences, Victorian furniture is often characterized by its use of velvet, hardwoods with dark finishes, intricate tufting, mm. detailed needlework, floral patterns, and romantic imagery. We're, we're getting away from the kind of stuff... <clears throat> uh... That we like again here. On this, yeah, uh, this, this is period. really going down another road. You're not kidding. Victor During the Victorian era, furniture manufacturing shifted largely from handmade to machine-made. Yeah, and I think that's uh, sort of been um, misunderstood by a lot of people. They they see these Victorian homes, and we're talking about homes here, not furniture, um, and they see all like the gingerbreading and turned posts, mm -hmm. and they think, "Wow, look at this handmade craftsmanship." Yeah, it was all made in factories. Yeah, it was all cranked out, and somebody just applied it. Yep. Uh, and a lot of times, this stuff becomes influential and far-reaching, is because it's accessible, and that's part of what made this machine-made stuff popular. Yeah, you just pick it out of a catalog. And it becomes cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 
as it's it's shifts to machine made primarily and it's more accessible and because of this victorian furniture was an all-encompassing genre that included all types of furniture from chairs settees and sofas and tables coffee tables beds and case goods um you know victorian furniture remains widely popular today uh it's enjoyed longevity through its influences in 20th century design Things like the Chesterfield sofa, for instance, which is a staple of Victorian design, are arguably more popular in the 21st century than ever. And there's the Chesterfield sofa. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that was the name of it when I looked this up, but yeah. a lot of times you'll see those sofas, deeply tufted leather sofa yeah. with big uh, rolled-over arms. Imagine you went into your lawyer's office. Yeah, or like a like a cigar lounge. Mm-hmm. They're usually like a deep colored, like mahogany leather. Yeah, this is like a cognac kind of mm-hmm. color. Uh, and that's the Chesterfield sofa. I I knew somebody who had a couple of those. They're not the most comfortable. It looks a little stiff. It is. It is. I guess that's kind of the nature of, well, <laughs> yeah, this kind Victorian of era. Yeah, well, yeah. We'll get into that, I'm sure, later yeah. on. Um, so uh, a little background to Victorian decoration and furniture. Um, design of anything in a particular period will depend on the social and creative background to the period. And in Victorian Britain, there was a massive diversity in styles and a high output of furniture. Uh, the Victorians loved to show off their wealth and good taste. And this was demonstrated by the interior design and decoration of their homes and the furniture they chose for it. Ooh la la. Yeah. Um, and this is something that's new. The new Newly rich entrepreneurs wanted to be seen as equal or better than the aristocracy, and the new middle class wanted to show their success and status to their friends. There's really no middle class up until these times. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's it's kind of your working lower class and your rich folk. Yeah. Uh, kind of like today. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly seems that way, huh? (laughs) But I digress. (laughs) So, you know, the people with new money want to sort of show themselves off. And the way they did this was, you know, how they decorated their homes, how they dressed, etc. And they manifested in the... uh, Diversity of furniture styles and choices that were marketed to them. Yeah, made by some, you know, borderline slaves in a factory. Exactly, exactly. Um, You just had to be lucky not to be down there in the trenches. That's true. The business class chose furniture with a classical classical design, which was at odds with the furniture found in the average middle-class home, or even those of many wealthy people. So that kind of makes sense. You know, they're sort of trying to be ostentatious and Mm -hmm. things like that. So these new designs were copied in a simplified and more economical fashion by uh, other furniture manufacturers and produced on a large scale to sell to the mass market. 
This is sounds very reminiscent of what's going on today and probably ever since. Yeah. Um, you know, people sort of reaching to be something uh, elevated socially. Um, Fake it till you make it. Uh, I guess that's appealing to some people. Yeah. You know, it's like you're driving down Middle Road and there's like a, what do you call the, a split level home? You know, like a split ranch. And there's going to be like these faux columns, like these, you know, Dora columns yeah. and um, cast uh, cement lions and things like that out front. That's a great example of yeah. of this. It's people sort of with this pretense. My palatial suburban home. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in Victorian England. Uh, so what's ha- what is happening in v- the Victorian era and in America? Um, the Victorian era was a time of tremendous scientific progress and ideas. Darwin took his voyage of the Beagle in 1831, and he proposed the theory of evolution. Wow. You know, to think it's only been 200 years, no wonder there's still some people who are trying to deny <laughs> its uh, legitimacy. <laughs> How did he get all the way out there to the Galapagos if the earth is flat? Mm, That's a good point. (laughs) Probably hitched a ride with the Illuminati. (laughs) Now, this thing uh, kept coming up. The Great Exhibition of 1851. Hmm. Um, I guess you could consider it something like... um, Like the World's Fair? Yeah, only it's, you know, has less to do with rides and more to do with... Um, it's like a trade show almost. Yes, yes. So the Great Exhibition of 1851 took place in London, showing off the technical and industrial advances of the age. Hmm. It's like... Uh, um, what's that electronics... Uh, oh, yeah, like the home show with the electronics. Yeah, that happens like, in Vegas. Yeah, and, there's like a three... I think it's like a three-letter... Yes. CES, Consumer Electronics Show? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like something like that. Mm-hmm. Except not limited to just the one area. Right, yeah. Um, but it was a pretty influential thing, because it, it... And I guess because of the time period, that's what I've been reading into. It, it had a big impact on a lot of things. There were 13,000 total exhibits, including uh, a jacquard loom, an envelope machine, (laughs) kitchen appliances, steel-making displays, uh, a reaping machine that was sent from the United States. So it's all sorts of uh, the technical and industrial advances of that time. But... um, Here's a quote from the the Times, which was a paper in London. Quote, It seems to us that the art manufacturers of the whole of Europe are thoroughly demoralized. (laughs) (laughs) Being replaced. (laughs) Yes, so said the Times in 1851, commenting on the furniture and other interior decorations displayed at the Great Exhibition in London, 1851. Hmm. The furniture exhibited at the exhibition shows early antique Victorian furniture at its most extravagant and flamboyant and somewhat cut off from reality. 
Um, Cut off from reality. I, I, I see a lot of people like that. Yeah. Uh, it it reminds me a little bit of maybe how like a, a high fashion show might be cut off from the reality of what uh, people normally wear. You yeah, know, like the, when the hell are you wearing the, you know, that? Like they'll have, you know, the crazy hats and all this really uh, minimalist clothing. You know, there's no way a woman could walk around in those things. No, like how are you going to go to work in that? Right. Um, in 1845, Thomas Jordan, who was a London engineer and uh, wood carver, he patented a machine for carving wood superior to that patented by William Irving in 1843, and his patent allowed for up to eight copies to be made simultaneously. Wow. Uh, the writing's on the wall. <laughs> the machinery was extensively used for carving at the new palace of Westminster. Let's take a look at this labor destroyer. Use a little <laughs> cursor, probably. Yeah. I, I, there's a name. I forget what they call them. It looks almost like a a primitive CNC machine, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks it? like a 3D printer. Yeah. Um, Look at these little uh, cherubs down here. Yep. So here's something that's carving out. Can't tell the scale of this thing. Yeah. Is it huge or small? Right. I mean, I mean, is this like a, a a hand wheel? You figure if it's anything like on our machinery, it's six inches or something. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, all the appliques and things like that that are big during the Victorian era. And here comes a guy. They're carving eight at a time. Wow. No, instead of having eight people carve these things by hand, now you got one person who all they're doing is spinning wheels and pushing knobs. Yeah, some slack jawed uh, <laughs> mouth breather. <laughs> He could be a slack-jawed nose breather. We don't know that That's for sure. That's true, but I doubt it. <laughs> By this time, around the middle of the 19th century, good design may be said to have suffered in much early Victorian furniture, even in country areas, with the partial exception of chair-making. Uh, so design is really taking a slide. We, you know, we saw things, Victorian-era chair-making... I think it's just happened yeah. to be a... Oops. Yeah, that just happens to be a, a, link. a link there. Um, the demands of the mass market. Um, Come on, man. With its concerns of economy led to a probably inevitable decline in standards of ordinary domestic furniture. With lots of showy, hastily, and cheaply put-on ornament and veneer attempting to conceal the lack of quality craftsmanship. My God. And those things still perpetuate today. Yeah. I put in parentheses here, the seeds of the arts and crafts movement and the art furniture fashion of late Victorian style had been sown. But more on that in coming episodes. Yeah. English arts and crafts furniture, yeah. It's funny, that transition piece, right? Very Jacobean. Yeah. Oof, Chippendale. Um, Clismo. Yep. I tell you, wow. the things that, that started about 100, 120 years ago, 
all the problems are basically still the same. Yeah. Um, 120 years ago? No. Uh, well. Yeah, I, like the beginning of 1900s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I thought you were talking about Victorian, uh, Victorian era. Yeah. Right, yeah, 1840s. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 200 years now almost. Yeah, you're right. Good 180. Um, that Why is that the thing that's stuck? Like... Yeah, why couldn't those wigs have stuck? Because <laughs> we have deodorant now <laughs> and shampoo. And tests for syphilis. Yeah. Oh, man. So back to Victorian era happenings. Progress in medicine and the physical sciences continued throughout the century. The Victorians were impressed by science and progress and felt that they could improve society in the same way as they were improving technology. Now, you see, so they think that, I mean, I guess depends on your point of view. So they're looking at all these things as improvements, and our point of view is that it's, it's a real decline, not just in taste and style, but in, um, you know, the handcraft disappearing and... You know, these... Yeah, it's like anything, like everything in moderation. Right. You know? Yeah, it's good to be able to, you know, produce furniture cheaply so that everyone can have furniture. Mm -hmm. So not, you don't, you know, there's... The barrier of entry is lower, so you don't have to, right. like, not have a table in your house because it costs too much to have. But <clears> when <throat> all the tables are being made and the standard is, you know, lowered across the board, that's when it's bad. Right, when it wipes out, what you know, the other thing. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a hard time for the craftsperson to peacefully coexist with the, um, you know, cheap uh, factory-made piece. Yeah, they're creating a monopoly. Uh, so during the Victorian era, science grew into the discipline it is today. Um, in addition to in increasing professionalism, of university science. Many Victorians, Victorian ladies and gentlemen devoted their time to the study of natural history, hmm. which became increasingly an amateur activity. Indubitably. Yes. My, my. <laughs> Reminds wanna... me of that Key and Peele skit with the, with the, uh, uh, I feel like I want to get a monocle. Yeah. The guy, uh, I'll show you later. <laughs> Particularly in Britain and the United States, this grew into specialist hobbies such as the study of birds, uh, butterflies, seashells, beetles. I didn't know that was such a thing. And wildflowers. Amateur collectors and natural history buffs played an important role in building the large natural history collections of the 19th and early 20th century. The Audubon Society started in 1905 in the U.S. Hmm. Um, That's birds, if uh, you didn't know. Yeah. I have a couple of those books. They're really, really great picture yeah. books. Allie's, like, great-great-grandfather has, like, a Audubon Museum in Germany named after him or something. You're kidding me. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, he, he was, I guess, was Audubon the artist or was he the writer? I don't know. Because um, I know he specialized in one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, 
It, it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for the quote unquote amateurs at this time, we wouldn't have all of this documentation because sadly, you know, a lot of the species are gone now. Yeah. Partially due to industry. <laughs> That's right. The Industrial Revolution created a consumer economy and a huge middle class with purchasing power. Um, this new middle class felt that they had arrived at a higher social plane of existence. Well, well, well. Uh, the ways of the farm and of the tenement would not do for the family of a man who had made his way in the world. Yeah, well, the path is, is firmly set. The Industrial Revolution brought the possibility of leisure to many, and those who could indulge in had leisure hobbies. They did that with a great enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> that was clumsily worded. As we see now with the Garage Warriors. Aha, uh -huh, yes, I, I see. Uh, the Weekend Warrior of all sorts. Yeah. Um. The Industrial Revolution also had a negative impact on traditional apprenticeship. Replacing hand-built goods with factory-produced ones meant the craftsman was also being replaced. And so we're a bit of a throwback, you and I. Yeah. We are, we are swimming against the current. We're about living about 250 <laughs> years too late. <laughs> but, you know, I'm glad we got indoor plumbing. That's true. In science and technology, the Victorians invented the modern idea of invention, the notion that one can create solutions to problems, that man can create new means of bettering himself and his environment. So I guess we have that to owe the Victorians, people like you and I. Yeah. That idea of, of you know, an individual person can problem solve and, and mm -hmm. things like that. So let's see, what are some Victorian values in the New Age? Victorian values dominated American social life for much of the 19th century. Uh, the notion of separate spheres of life for men and women was commonplace. Well, we kind of lived that way. We, yeah, got, yeah. we got the shop and we got our house. Yeah. <laughs> the shop is the male sphere. <laughs> The male sphere included wage work and politics, while the female sphere included child rearing and domestic work. Now, we're not uh, chauvinistic like that. No. Um, industrialization and urbanization brought new challenges to Victorian values. Men grew weary of toiling tireless hours and yearned for the blossoming leisure opportunities of the age. So free time's starting to become a thing. Yeah. Uh, I wonder when the word weekend makes its first appearance. Now, this is like just free time for some, though, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about this newly emerging middle, middle class. class yeah. That's, I mean, if you're working in the factory. You're probably there seven days. Yeah, and you're not, you're not really you know, part of the middle class. You're yeah. still the lower working class. We're talking about more like the merchant class, the people who own the factories yeah. or maybe management. They're in purchasing. Or... Mm -hmm. uh, also at the time, women are becoming more educated. Uh, but even with an education, they'd graduate and they'd 
typically find themselves shut out of many professions. Um, and this is about where my family comes into it. Mm-hmm. Immigrants had never been socialized in the Victorian mindset. As the century drew to a close, a revolt was indeed brewing. Ooh. They're talking about the macaroni riots? <laughs> my family got here just after the Victorian period in the <laughs> 1920s. Uh, Victoria battles the Victorians. Well, what do you know? At the vanguard of revolt were the young, single, middle-class women who worked in the cities. Attitudes towards sex were loosening in private, yet few were brave enough to discuss the changes publicly. One exception was Victoria Woodhull. In 1871, she declared the right to love the person of her choice as inalienable. And she, indeed, she professed the right to free love. She's like an early hippie. That's right, 90 years before the 60s. She and her sister, Tennessee Claffin, or is that Claflin? Claflin. Tennessee, that's an interesting first name. Yeah. They published a book with their beliefs in the periodical Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly. Hmm. A devout feminist... Woodhull protested the male hold on politics by running for president in 1872. She became the first female American to do so in a time when women did not even enjoy the right to vote. Yeah, she um, not even close, not for another 50 years. Exactly, right? It, it, I don't know if it's exactly 1920, but it's like right around there, isn't it? I think 1919, something like that. Yeah, um, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, Victoria Woodhull runs for president in 1872. Wow. The Comstock Law. So these are changes that are going on in, in Victorian society. And the reason we're talking about it is we just kind of set the stage for what's going on. And then, you know, you can see how it influences yeah. the, the things that we do. Just like... Um, society always influ- influences art. It does. You know? It does. Um, so the Comstock Law... Um, as energetic as the rebellion may have been, the reaction was equally as forceful. So, <laughs> those with something do not want to give it up. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. Criticizing the evils of modern urban life, prostitution, gambling, promiscuity, and alcohol. Hell yeah. Yeah, Victorians fought to maintain the values they held dear. So along comes Anthony Comstock. He lobbies Congress to pass the notorious Comstock Law, banning all mailings of materials of a sexual nature. Um, if that's uh, a buzzkill. <laughs> this is like they they still use the Comstock Law to try and um, prosecute people. Like, um, what was that guy's name who published Hustler? Oh, and, Larry Flint. Right. Yeah. Right. I was gonna say I've heard the Comstock Law before. Right. That's why. Because the People versus Larry Flint. That's a movie, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Well, Woody Harrelson. That's the law still was in. I think it's probably still on the books. I don't yeah, know. Man, we got bigger fish to fry, people. <laughs> so you can't mail anything of a uh, of a um, promiscuous nature. Um, and uh, Victorians valiantly fought to maintain the the their view of morality. Um, but they couldn't stop the changes. Uh, 
this was something that I had forgot completely about, which is is funny. That in we a had way. a civil war. The American Civil War happens during this period. Yeah. Um, you know, no bigger event in in our history, really. Yeah. It happens, uh, you know, during the Victorian era, really early Victorian. Um, the economy of the South is decimated, um, and industrial capitalism flourishes in the North. We won't go too much into the Civil War and uh, Rep- Reformation and all this other stuff, but and Restoration. Um, Following the Civil War and the nation's eventual return to economic prosperity, ornately decorated interiors proliferated. Man, that's a tough sentence. She sells seashells by the seashore. (laughs) Many millionaires were made during the war. Surprise, surprise. And all subsequent wars. (laughs) Both honestly and dishonestly, I added. Yeah. (laughs) Put in my own point of view there. So properly furnished rooms were a sign of education and good taste, or maybe just of money, and a way to show off one's wealth. Furniture makers began producing furniture in exotic styles from Renaissance to modern Gothic. So there you have it. The groundwork is laid. What what do we got? We got manufacturing, Mm -hmm. we got a new middle class, we got a new bunch of really wealthy people as a result of the war and profiteering and everything like that. Yeah, you got, uh, yeah, you know, social uh, rebels, you could say, sort Mm -hmm. of popping up. Um, Right. Um, So let's see how this um, avails itself on the styles of furniture and things like that. Patterns uh, dominant in Victorian furniture. Intricate carvings, natural images like floral patterns, leafy patterns, and curving lines. Uh, The Art Nouveau, which came at a much later stage, is, is quite similar, making it difficult to judge if a piece is indeed Victorian or not. Um, yeah, a lot of mishmash. Yeah. And I guess that's a result, too, of the factory manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Maybe not all that well thought out. That and, like, as opposed to an individual craftsperson making something, and then we noted that there were, like, these schools of style, like, you know, in Providence, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, They're, you know, they have to appeal to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah, a lot less discipline as well. Um, Victorian furniture can further can be further determined by its angular shapes and lines along with the carvings. A uh, Victorian chair or table basically has a straight shape with curves along the bottom uh, of the sofa below the cushions. Why did I say a Victorian <laughs> chair, chair or, or table, table basically has a straight shape with curves along the bottom? of the sofa below their cushions, the legs of the chair and the back <laughs> of the seat. There was some bad cutting and pasting going on there. <laughs> a Victorian chair or table basically has a straight shape with curves along the legs of the chair and the back of the seat. Um, and, you know, curved moldings, decorative friezes. Yep. Those are also design motifs. What about the materials? 
Victorians loved embellishments in various form, like embossing. That's made with the um, that uh, carving machine. Yep. Yeah. Tassels and layers of material. This type of furniture gives that extra attention to texture and detail. Hmm. Uh, this is where Art Nouveau is different and lacking, as there are no frills. And I didn't know that. I would have assumed that just by the name, Art yeah. Nouveau, there were more frills, but no. So if you come across it's got a flounce, piece, the Art Nouveau's <laughs> yeah. got the flounce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no frills, just flounce. Yeah, so if you come across a piece with a lot of tassels and fancy carving, probably it's Victorian. And and flounce. <laughs> what about the upholstery? Uh, upholstery during the Victorian era was plush, and it concentrated on luxurious material and textures like velvet. Mmm, I love me some velvet. Yeah. Dark colors, uh, you know, things. They wanted it to be rich and lush. That, that's what they're shooting for. Um, and they use different colors to accent um, the backgrounds, which were usually plain white. And, um, again, furniture, which was upholstered, had lots of tassels and flounce and embellishments. <laughs> what about Victorian proportions? My guess is that uh, they're not going to be great. Yeah. Let's see what we have here. Furniture of the Victorian era was characterized, characterized by large sideboards, heavy pedestals, and pieces in bulkier proportion. The designs were able to provide balance and character to the decorations of the piece. I see. So there, there's got, they've got so much going on. Yeah, you need something there to, to ground it. Right. Otherwise, it's going to be, you know, be like a skinny guy wearing a big coat. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. All that flounce, you need something heavy to... You need a foundation for your flounce. <clears throat> yeah, foundation for the flounce. Yeah. So from right now, if you're trying to identify a Victorian piece, you got to have some foundation for the flounce. Mm -hmm. There you go. Um, and tassels. <laughs> tassels are big. <laughs> Most of the pieces of Victorian furniture were made of walnut uh, with rosewood or mahogany. And um, the replicas are stained deep brown to give them the look of the Victorian era. Oh, yeah, we've so, all seen that. <laughs> so we're already getting into, like, this heavy use of, of mocking up. Here's looking at you, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you listen to the podcast. But. No, but that's exactly what I thought of because the boot jacks are stained to look like walnut. <laughs> at least he doesn't call it walnut. That's true. Stained to look like walnut. Check out our buddies over at the Working Hands podcast. Yeah, yeah. They have a great podcast, actually. I've really yeah. grown to like it. It's it's. I like listening to it. Um. Victorian fun facts. So this, oh, this is how we're ending. <clears throat> this is always one of my favorites. Victorians ingested arsenic, hmm. believing it held all sorts of health benefits. Of course, it wasn't long before sickness and death followed. Oh <laughs> Takes away the pain. <laughs> Relieves all kinds of ailments. Can't be sick if you're dead. This, this is one I kind of knew. <laughs> Due to water's poor quality, and we're talking about, you know, city life, yeah. 
beer was a more common choice for hydration than water. Yeah. Even for kids. Yeah, they had what was called like a small beer, which meant that it was like really low in alcohol. I think that's what it was called, small beer. Yeah. I love it. This is and this is this is our last. <laughs> this is funny. This is a good one. Fainting was common among Victorian women. Maybe it was the arsenic, <laughs> or the beer, <laughs> or the fact that they bound their waists in whalebone corsets until it was hard to breathe and organs were displaced. Oh man! <laughs> These poor Victorian women not catching a break. Yeah. So every time you see like those movies where the women have those like super tight dresses, yeah. In reality, they were really uh, disfiguring themselves. Yeah. Man. So what what can we take from the the onset of the Victorian era? Um I mean, sort of seems like a hearkening back to like uh the like Chippendale sort of era. What what was that period? They well, I think we ca- didn't we call it wasn't it called Chippendale or was it um Queen Anne? No, yeah, you know, I think it was a queen. Yeah. Cuz when I think of Queen Anne like revival stuff, I think of like Victorian. Mhm. Um Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a harkening back to that, the the heavily renaissance and rococo influenced stuff. This sort of um hoity-toity kind of look to it, you know? Well, you got to figure, because if it's named after a queen... Um, it's got to be fancy. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be ornate. Yeah. Um, and they're, the the rich folk want to, you know, sort of align themselves with the, the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And then the folks that can afford it in this new middle class... They're like social climbers of of all periods, right? So they go for the knockoffs. Mm-hmm. They they're the like the equivalent of like the women buying the knockoff Gucci bag or yeah. the man with the knockoff the Folex. Yeah, the Folex. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Um, it's amazing how similar things are. Yeah, it must be in our genetics. I guess so. Um, and the same thing I think of like with technology, like, um, factory production, of course, that's, you know, an ingrained part of our lives, but then like things like CNC machining come into play Mm -hmm. and that kind of creates this, um, this new way of duplicating stuff. Yep. Uh, again, like. There's no way that somebody like you or I could build by hand uh, something that a CNC machine could do perfectly and repetitively and quickly and do it and sell it at, you know, in the same cost bracket. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, things we have things like injection molding and, you know, resin 3D printing. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many. The technology now for production is insane. You're right. You're right. Uh, you ever metal three D printing? Yeah, that's amazing. It, 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 there's like a three D printed house I've seen. Yeah, yeah. It's like a yeah. It spits out concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's like that show, How Things Are Made. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, I'm always shocked at how fast mm-hmm. some of these processes are done. They have to slow the machines down right, to actually like, be able to film it. Like more than one a second. Yeah. Sometimes, like whether it's like filling up soda bottles or, or something, putting a label on something, or yeah. engraving something, and and the way they check for um, uh, discrepancies yeah. as it's passing through the slide. I, yeah, you know when your like salsa goes under a metal detector, make sure there's no like a like a nut or a bolt in there. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It, um, I guess also because it's the most recent um, period we've done, you know, because we're going in a straight timeline, it's most similar to our experiences now, too. Mm-hmm. You know, with um, the society and, and industry. Yep. So the only thing is we got clean water, relatively yep. speaking. Just a little bit of lead in there. Women are wearing yoga pants instead of corsets. Yep, that's a I'd say that's a parallel move. Yeah, and we're we're sort of off the arsenic. <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> so we are making progress. Yeah. Now people drink uh, alkalized water. Yeah. It's been replaced. Replaced the arsenic and kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was saying uh, earlier that um, when you were out attending to uh, uh, little uh, what's her name Kaya Kaya's business out there, it'd be it'd be awesome if we had some live you know uh, give and take at the end of oh, the episodes yeah. you know so people could comment whether positively or negatively on what we just said yeah. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, if we had like a Twitch stream. Yeah, you know, like somebody a... saying, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. That'd be funny. <laughs> I mean, I'd enjoy those types of reactions probably more than uh, anything else. Yeah, maybe it was something to think about for season three. Right. That's a great idea. Season yeah. three would kind of go live interactive in a way if mm-hmm. we can. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We got six months to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to bid everybody a farewell. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And, um, yeah, we'll continue the conversation next week with uh, the design. We'll get into the design and influences of Victorian furniture. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Ciao.